So I think, <laughs> I'm afraid Google knows me a little too well. That algorithm that like, things pop up, you know, that you like you didn't look for, but they know you want to know about is scary. So I found out that um, there is a history of like, so like, sorry, let me restart. I was directed by the internet to a web page that was full of strange exercise devices throughout history. And I was like, I've never looked for that, but it came looking for me. And it was fascinating because Google knows me and knows that I would click, click on that and would be entertained for a long time and then I'd bring it up in a homily. Um, so there were all of these things. In fact, um, there's, this, there's this history of if you want to be healthy, get electrocuted. Is basically to sum up this thing. It's like there's electric blankets. Just lie in the blanket, and it'll send you shock waves. And those shock waves will get you fit. Um, you know, wear this thing that will send um, electro electromagnetic shock through your body. And those electricity, that electricity will make you healthy. It's it doesn't work apparently, but people thought so. In fact, my, one of my two favorites uh, that that you, they used to do. Um, one was called Xander's Horse Simulator Machine. You don't have a horse to ride yourself. Those cowboys and cowgirls are pretty fit, but you don't have a horse. You're not a cowboy cowgirl. You can sit on a device that you don't even have to rock it. It rocks you, and you get to stabilize yourself on top of it. And you know what happens? You become super healthy. That was the idea. Like you get, to, you just the idea is you get to sit there, and what happens is you get healthy just by sitting there. Imagine the fitness craze that swept the United States when this came out. Um, but in fact, there was another, there's another invention that I actually, I saw on this webpage that I've used before because my grandma had it and maybe your grandmother's had this kind of thing. It's basically a metal platform you, you stand on and from the metal platform, there's a belt and you put the canvas belt around your waist and all the belt does is go back and forth like this, but it shakes you. And the idea is that it would shake the fat off your body and you become healthy in the process. It would increase circulation and now you are, Mr. Olympia. And I remember going to my grandma's house and like we had, grandkids would fight over the like, let's get on the exercise machine. Exercise machine. We liked it because if you talked as you did it, it would like make your voice vibrate kind of a thing. But it doesn't work. If you bought this and you tried it, you'd be wasting your time. You'd be wasting your money. You know, I saw all these and I realized they still make them. In fact, coming home from my parents' place this last weekend, I, when I was 15, my dad is a pretty fit guy. And so I thought, my dad is fit. He wants to get fitter. So I bought him for Christmas this, maybe you've seen these before. It's like a neoprene stretchy thing that you have Velcro on one side. And the idea is you wrap it around your waist and you Velcro it to your body and you wear it underneath your clothes. And the idea is it melts away the fat that's underneath the neoprene. Basically, no, it just makes you sweaty under that. Fat and sweat are not the same thing, but you can just wear this and you don't have to do anything and you become healthier. Again, waste, a waste of time, a waste of money. And we can know this and still do the same thing because I've been over to the gym and I know you've been over to the gym too. And you've walked past those roll of recumbent bikes. You know the bikes that you sit back on? No, they are fine if you actually put the time into it, if you put the effort into it. How many times do you walk by those recumbent bikes and someone's sitting on there and they're reading something or watching the little TV and all they're doing is just basically letting the pedals move their feet. Have you ever seen anyone like this? They're not sweating, they're not talking, they're not breathing heavy, they're, they're easy to have, a, have an easy conversation. It's not a workout, but they think they're working out. Unless that's your cool down, that's a waste of time right there. We do this thing all of the time. We don't just do it with exercise, we do it with, oh my gosh, how many, how many of you said tonight, like, oh, I, I studied the whole weekend. I got to see my family for a little bit, but then I just went to the library, spent the whole weekend in the library. 
And if you actually totaled up the amount of time you spent working on your work, it was like maybe 35 minutes, but like, no, I was there the whole weekend. In fact, I spent a lot of time in the, in the coffee shop work, working on my stuff too. And from my, I like to sit in the loft at Dunn Brothers, right, so I can look down on people. There's a fine line between being a creeper and just being observant. <laughs> but I think I'm on the observant side. I think you're a creeper based on how long you look and how many times you return to looking at someone. So I'm on the observant side. And what I observe from my nest up in the loft is when people settle themselves in and they have, I worked for, at Dunn Brothers for five hours. What happens is they get themselves all settled and then pop up social media first for the first hour. And, you know, I go back to my work because I'm not a creeper. And then later on, look back down. Oh, they're shopping for something now. And go back to my work, still not a creeper. And then later on, look back. Oh, they're, you know, communicating with someone through FaceTime or through Messenger or whatever the thing is. Because we can say, we can convince ourselves, like, no, I spent five hours working on stuff in the coffee shop when I spent about 15 minutes actually doing my work in the coffee shop. We so easily waste our opportunities. We can so easily waste the chance we have. And then we look back on it and go, I spent all the time in the gym, it was a waste of time. I spent all that time in the library, it was a waste of time. I spent all that time in the coffee shop, it was a waste of time. I spent all that time at Mass, and it was a waste of time. I recently came across a story of a young religious sister named Sister Claire. Amazing story of this young nun. She grew up in Ireland, and she grew up in a neighborhood that was very rough. Family, super rough. Who She had rejected Christ, rejected Christianity, rejected Catholicism for a long time, and at one point, when Christ finally won her heart over, she became absolutely convinced that he loved her absolutely. She became absolutely convinced that he loved her definitively. And she's like, well, in that case, I'm going to be a religious sister. She's going to, I'm going to be his bride. And so just to watch this documentary, it blew my heart open because it was just one of these. I'm like, man, one of her lines was she died when she was 32 in an earthquake in Ecuador. Before she died, though, she said these words. She said, to die without having given all of myself that's my fear. That's my only fear. To die without having given all of myself is the fear. It's the only fear. To look back and realize, I just wasted that. I've just wasted that opportunity to give myself. I wasted the opportunity to love Christ. I've wasted the opportunity to offer up my life with Jesus' life. To die without having given all of myself, that's the fear. It's the only fear. I know a couple weeks ago I mentioned as a part of the series, you know, come to the altar. I mentioned my ordination date. I, I think I've kind of made a crack about like June 6, 2003, in case you want to send me an ordination card. I hate my ordination day. Here's why. I don't hate it because I don't wish I was a priest. I am so grateful to the Lord. I never, I don't want to be anything else other than a priest for the rest of my life. But I, I, I don't like my ordination anniversary because whenever it rolls around, I have this weird fear that I talk to the Lord and I ask, ask the Lord, Lord, have I, have I wasted my priesthood? Like, if you've given me an opportunity, I've just wasted it. I, I, not because I don't show up for stuff. You guys, I'm here. Like, <laughs> not because I don't do the thing. My fear is that I'll show up and do it, but I'm not doing that how he wants me to do it. Like, I show up and I do it, but I'm not giving the way he wants me to give. Show up to the gym, you do it, you're not, not the way it makes a difference. Show up to the library, to the coffee shop, you do it, but not the way it makes a difference. I show up to do my priest stuff. Question, Lord, am I doing it in a way that actually makes a difference? 
That's the heart of this whole series we've been doing. This is the fourth part of this four-part series, Come to the Altar. The whole fear I had was that us as Catholics, we come to Mass and we show up and we do it, but we don't do it in a way that makes a difference. And we show up and we do it and we spend all this time. But it's like, but did you, did you give anything? Did I do it the right way? Did, do I show up to Mass and I just watch? Or do I show up and I worship? Or do I, I show up and I, I give my first fruits that are intentional and consequential? Or do I just kind of give God my leftovers? We talked about last week, do I show up ready to truly present, to present Jesus who is truly present in the Eucharist to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit? And do, do I, is that how I do it? Or do I just show up and I kind of go along with this? And that's why we've, been, why we've had these first three weeks. And there's even more. There's even, when it comes to coming to the altar, when it comes to worship, there's even more that we've talk, than we've talked about already. And it has everything to do with the priesthood. It has everything to do with the priesthood. Without the priesthood, we have no Eucharist. Without the Eucharist, there's nothing to offer the Father. There's no sacrifice. Without the sacrifice, there's no worship. And without worship, this world is lost. Let's go through that again. Without the priesthood, there's no Eucharist. That doesn't happen. If there's no Eucharist, there's nothing to offer to the Father. There's no sacrifice. And without the sacrifice, there's no worship. And without worship of the Father, the world is lost. So I, I, need, to, I need to clarify. Uh, I, was, I said I was afraid that I was wasting my priesthood. I need to clarify that phrase because I need to nuance it. There's something wrong with the phrase, my priesthood. I will usually ask groups of people this. I will not ask you all this because I don't want to. It's a trick question, and I don't want to, like, the person was like, I thought that was the right Here's the answer. The question, the question is, how many priests are there in the world? Like, how many priests are there in the entire world right now? It's a trick question because people are like, I don't know, like a million? Like, no. <laughs> um, like 100,000? The answer is one. How many priests are there? If anyone ever asks you, how many priests are there? One. Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one great high priest. He's it. He's it. When it comes to how many priests are there in the world, there's one priest. It is Jesus Christ, our one great high priest. I myself am what they call a ministerial priest. What that means is I participate in his priesthood. He's the one priest. I get to, so I say waste my priesthood. No, it's not mine. It's I'm wasting his priesthood. He is the one great high priest, and ministerial priests are those who are called to participate in a unique way in Jesus' priesthood. They're called to share in a unique way in Jesus' priesthood. That we realize in the Bible that Jesus chose particular men to participate in his priesthood in a unique way. Um, in the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, he says to the disciples, to the apostles, to the first priests, he says, go baptize. So that's one thing the priests do. In John chapter 20, he says to the apostles, to the priests, he says, those whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Those whose sins you don't forgive are not forgiven. He gives them the ability to forgive sins in his name. He makes a priesthood. In, in Mark's gospel, he send, and Luke's gospel, he sends them out and says, now go out and heal people. He gives them the anointing of the sick. He, he commissions them, give, makes them priests to, be anointed, to, to do the anointing of the sick. And, and in almost every one of the gospels, including the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, at the Last Supper, Jesus makes those apostles his first priests. 
when he says, take this, all of you, eat of it, this is my body, this is my blood, now you do this in memory of me. And he commissions them and he gives them the ability to what they call confect the Eucharist, right? To make the Eucharist present, to, to make Jesus truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in what looks like bread and what looks like wine. He says, you do this now. This is your job. Because he's the one great high priest, but now ministerial priests, that they're ministerial priesthood, you participate in this and you do these things. And it's so crazy because from the very beginning too, um, the apostles, they realized that was our job. That, they saw themselves as priests right away. And they also saw themselves as being responsible to pass on that ministerial priesthood. Uh, you can see it in Acts chapter 6, when they, when they uh, lay hands on certain, uh, certain people so they can become deacons. You see it in Acts chapter 13, when they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas, and they make them, consecrate them to be priests as well. And this has been passed on year after year, generation after generation, to get to a schmuck like me. And even having in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, when Paul says, Timothy, Fan into flame the gift you received when I laid hands upon you. What's he saying to Timothy? Here's what he's saying to Timothy. He said, Timothy, be a priest to those people in Ephesus. Timothy, be a dad to those people in Ephesus. That's what it is to be a priest. Is to be a dad to them. Now, the crazy thing is, in the recent news, we have all the terrible stories of, like, really bad priests. That you might know some Peters, but we've also found, heard about some Judases. The good news and bad news is Jesus ordained Peter and he ordained Judas. But here's what Augustine said back in the fourth century, St. Augustine. He like really powerfully said this because he even way back, way back then, they had really great priests and they had some bunch of Judases as well. And here's what St. Augustine said about this. He said, when Peter baptizes, it's Christ who baptizes. When Judas baptizes, it is Christ who baptizes. Why? Because how many priests are there? There's one priest. And when the ministerial priest, whether he's a saint or whether he is awful, when he exercises his priesthood, what happens? Jesus is the one who acts. The Father is the one who's glorified. And this world is still transformed. This world is still changed. And here's, here's the crazy thing. I love this. Um, why, do priests, why, why, why have priests been consecrated to do these things? Why, why have they been consecrated to, to baptize, to heal, to uh, forgive sins, to give us the Eucharist, and to offer the sacrifice for you, basically? Basically, they're, they're, they're meant to, priesthood is meant to be so that you become holy and you bring that holiness to the world. That he's ordained in order to make you holy. He's ordained in order for you to come into contact with God in a way that's unique and completely transforms your life so you can bring that same sanctity into your workplace, into your family, into your friendships, into your dorms, into your apartments, into wherever you are. Now, that's cool. There's still more. The thing is, like, that's neat. Like, okay, God, thank you for the priesthood. That's not even the beginning. Because when it comes to, like, worship of God, how many priests are there? One. I knew you guys had it by now, so like I'm, I'm comfortable with it. How many ministerial priests are there? I don't know. Thousands. But look at Revelation chapter 1. The second reading for today. From the Feast of Christ the King. Jesus Christ establishes a kingdom on this earth. And what does St. John write about in Revelation 1? He says, you'll become a kingdom priests for God our Father. That every person in the kingdom is a priest. St. Peter writes about this in his letter as well. He says, no, you've become a royal priesthood. That if you've been baptized, 
You are a priest as well. Like, let's, let's draw that. I'm, I get too excited, you guys. Who years baptized? Okay, a couple of you. So, at your baptism, the bishop, priest, or deacon, whoever baptized you, what he did is he put oil on your head and he anointed you. And he said, I anoint you a king or queen. He said, in the kingdom, I anoint you a prophet. Speak God's word. And he said, I anoint you a king. I, I anoint you a priest. I anoint you a priest. If you've been baptized, you've been consecrated, you've been anointed, you've been set apart to be one of Jesus' kingdom priests. Again, Revelation chapter 1. You're a kingdom priest. No, I guess it's different than, different kind of priesthood than the ministerial priests have. It's different kind of priesthood and different kind of degree of priesthood. Here's what I mean, just kind of a little theology on the side. As a priest, you're called to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt you. So if someone's harmed you, you can say, in Jesus' name, I forgive you. That's priestly. A ministerial priest can say, I forgive you of all of your sins in Jesus' name. That's different. As a kingdom priest, you can heal. In fact, there was a guy in the Twin Cities just last week. He's a, he's a lay Catholic, and, he, and God has like, healed people powerfully through his ministry. So you can heal as a, as a kingdom priest. But as a ministerial priest, myself, we can heal through the anointing of the sick in a different way, and to a different degree. And as a ministerial priest, one of the things I do is at the altar, I confect the Eucharist, right, by saying this, this is my body, this is my blood, and then I offer up the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. But here is the problem. A lot of times, as kingdom priests, we show up and we watch the ministerial priest offer up the sacrifice. And if, like, we're really good kingdom priests, we watch and pay close attention, <laughs> If you're like really into it, we watch, pay close attention, and have all the responses down. But oftentimes, what we end up doing is we come to Mass, we watch the priest pray, and you end up wasting your priesthood. Again, the Lord Jesus did not, from all eternity, call you to be his son and call you to be his daughter, call you to be his priest, so you could come to Mass and watch the priest worship. He made you into a kingdom priest, so you can actually offer up the sacrifice with the priest. But here's the problem. I... Here's the problem with kind of the modern Mass. We come to Mass, and I'm on this side of the altar, right? And so it looks like I'm a talk show at, a, at, a, at, a, at the audience. So you can watch me pray as you guys watch over here. I'm on this side. But we have every single Monday morning when we have Mass at 8 a.m. on Monday morning over at the house, we have what they call ad orientum Mass, which means that I'm on your side of the altar, and we're all facing the same direction. It's called ad orientum, which means to the east. Now, they said, well, in Second Vatican II, didn't they flip that around? No, someone just did that, and they wanted to, and it was the dumbest thing in the world because... Wasn't that when the priest turned his back on everyone? No. Having the Mass, where we're all facing the same direction, is not the priest turning his back on the people. It's the priest saying, hey, you are kingdom priests. I am a ministerial priest. Let's offer up the sacrifice of the Son to the Father and the Holy Spirit together as Jesus is Christ's priests. But how we have it now, it's so easy to forget the fact that you're a kingdom priest because you kneel down and you watch him pray. My invitation for every single one of us is that you have been called to come to the altar to be a kingdom priest, to offer up the sacrifice with the ministerial priest. 
Now, this is where people say, like, okay, Father, thanks for that. Like, I appreciate it. That's your little theory. I know you're one of, I didn't think you're one of those modern priests, but now I get it. No, this is what the church has been trying, been trying to tell you your entire life. The church has try, been trying to tell you your entire life that you're meant to offer the sacrifice with the priest. Why? In a few moments, I will, you'll stand up and I'll say, pray, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice, what's the next line? And yours. I'm the priest. Y'all the kingdom priests. Pray, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father, for the praise and glory of his name. And then you respond with, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. And so we, we stand up, and then what we do, we begin to move into that powerful time of worship. Pray that my sacrifice and yours may glorify the Father and change the world. Why isn't the Father glorified like he should be? Because we show up and we waste our priesthood. Why isn't the world more changed? Because we show up and we waste our priesthood. So how do we do this? How do you not waste your priesthood? Here's two quick things. One is I invite you to pay attention to the words. Realize it's your prayer. Pay attention to the words the priest, ministerial priest is praying at the altar. Uh, don't, don't pray them aloud as well. Pray them in your heart. Those are his lines, you guys. Don't step on his lines. But to pray them in your heart and to realize one thing very powerfully. It changes everything for me when I realized to whom almost all the prayers in the Mass are directed. I don't know if you ever paid attention to that. Have you ever paid attention to, you know, well, to God? Well, no, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To whom are almost all the prayers in the Mass directed? To the Father. So we say, Lord, and we're talking up to Dad. So my invitation to you is if like, you're like saying, I'm getting distracted. How do I offer up? How do I not waste my kingdom priesthood? How do I offer up the sacrifice with the ministerial priest? Realize you're talking to Dad. Realize you're offering up the sacrifice of the Son to the Father, to Dad. The other second thing is the last thing. Years ago, after I was ordained, I read a book by just a phenomenal man named Archbishop Fulton Sheen. The book is called A Priest is Not His Own. It's definitely worth reading, definitely worth reading for anyone, priest or not. At one point in the book, though, Archbishop Sheen, he says, he says when, when men are ordained to be ministerial priests, so often they're so excited to offer the sacrifice, which is, which is right, it's, it's good, they should be excited to offer the sacrifice. But he says they often forget that not only did Jesus offer the sacrifice, but Jesus was the sacrifice. He was both the priest and the victim. And he says, you priests are excited to be priests, but you have to also be just as eager to be the victim. And now my brothers and sisters, as I'm telling you all this about like the fact that you are kingdom priests, and inviting you to never waste your priesthood. What I also have to invite you to do is what Archbishop Sheen invited me to do. To not only go to Mass and offer the sacrifice, but to go to Mass and be the sacrifice. I mean, this is... That's what St. Paul was writing about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
He said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. And the, the prayers even, the prayers even in the Eucharistic prayer, number three, it even reminds us this. It says, it says, um, Father, may he make us an eternal offering to you. Like, let us become an eternal offering to you. Eucharistic prayer number four says, may we truly become a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your glory. I mean, it's, it's so important that we recognize this, that we are called, that you are called not only to offer the sacrifice, you are called to be the sacrifice. And you've known this your whole life. And the church has been trying to tell you this your whole life too. Just like the church has been trying to tell you that it's my sacrifice and yours. The church has been trying to tell you that you're meant to actually be the sacrifice as well. Because why? Because when you're baptized, you're like, oh, I, mean, I was made into a child of God. Yeah, I knew that. Mm -hmm, you were. Made into a priest, prophet, and king. Mm -hmm, got that check. I was, I was made into, I was reborn. I made it to uh, God's own Per, uh, brought into the church. Yes, absolutely. What's another term we use for someone who has been baptized? We call them, they've been made into a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been made into a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what do you think about when you think of a temple of the Holy Spirit? What, what do you think about when you think of a temple? You think, well, that's the place where, you know, the, the deity, the God lives. God abides in the temple. So you're a temple of the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Absolutely, that's true. It's not false. That's, act, that's correct. But in the ancient world, temples were not only places where the deity would abide. Temples were principally the places of worship. Temples were principally places of sacrifice. Temples were places where there was an altar and you've been made into a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been made into a kingdom priest, which means what? Which means you're meant to offer the sacrifice, but also means that you're meant to be the sacrifice. This whole series, my whole prayer, ah oh man, the, the, the burden that's been placed in my heart is, is that you never again, my prayer is that you never again show up to Mass and just watch, but you show up in worship. My, my prayer today is that you, that you make the decision from now on, I will never, ever, ever show up to Mass and waste my priesthood. But to realize that from now on, from now on when I go to Mass, I will offer the sacrifice of the Son to the Father with the ministerial priest. From now on, I will be the sacrifice with the Son to the Father with the ministerial priest. And from now on, I'll never go to Mass again and just watch, but I'll worship. Never go to Mass again and waste my priesthood, but I'll use my priesthood. I'll never go to Mass again and not be the sacrifice. But I will be that sacrifice with Jesus every time you come to the altar.